I love a brand new pad of paper. Specifically, I love these little notebooks that I carry around with me frequently in which I write things down. I, uh, you know, make daily reflections by hand. I I discovered uh, in the last year that my hands were like stuck in this position. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. And I decided I wanted to start writing things slowly by hand. And one of the things that I love specifically about these brand new notebooks, a brand new pad of paper, is just the pure potential that they represent for me. Right? Like my, my messy handwriting hasn't been scribbled all over the pages yet, and I haven't yet written anything embarrassing or incomprehensible that later I'll look back on and think like, what? The beginning of a new year is exciting in the same way that this new notebook is exciting for me, I think. Because the year is not yet marked by our embarrassments, our mistakes, our tragedies. It's pure potential. The new year provides for us a, start, a chance to start fresh, to reflect on the year that we've had, to imagine what the new year might hold, and to make resolutions that we hope will organize our life in the year to come. I spent some time this week Googling popular New Year resolutions. I did this as a service to you all. Someone had to do it, and I'm glad, I'm glad to be the one to have done it. Most of the resolutions that I came across trafficked in two categories, self-improvement and self-denial. Turns out that many people on the internet are resolved to work harder on their bodies, on their careers, uh, in school, or just basically to do something new, to learn a new language, or to find some new system of organization for their lives. Many others are resolved to stop eating so much ice cream, to cut back on their consumer spending, to quit smoking, to lose some weight, or to cut back on some bad habits. These folks are, have committed to denying themselves of something that they want for the sake of some, something greater, some greater good. None of this was particularly surprising to me. I mean, after all, we're the we're kind of people that like self-improvement and self-denial. We, we work hard to get the job done. We put enormous amounts of stress on ourselves to succeed. And we're the kind of people who place a high moral value on sacrifice denying ourselves something for the sake of something else. Some of you are wondering when the other shoe is going to drop. (laughs) Well, here it is. As I was Googling these resolutions, I got to thinking, how many of our New Year resolutions are, as Thoreau put it years ago, improved means to an unimproved end? Improved means to an unimproved end. In other words, how many of our resolutions this year can be summarized as techniques to do more better, but ultimately fall short of giving us the kind of transformation that we really want? Our text for this morning is fitting for us as we look forward to this new year. I mean, Jesus is surrounded by the religious leaders again, And they are asking him a question. What is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, what's the most important thing for us to do? It's a trick question, to be sure, in Jesus' original context. But I think it's a good question for us to consider as we start this new year. 
Our text is uh, from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, as we meet on this first Sunday after we have rung in the new year, We ask that you would speak now, as you always do, your liberating and reconciling word to us, and that you would give us the grace to hear it and obey it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm sure that this will not be the first sermon that you've heard on this passage. It is, after all, the greatest commandment. So it tends to receive a lot of attention. In Matthew's account of what we, I've just read for you here, Jesus is holding court with the religious leaders. He's answering their questions. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. And to this specific question, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and then adds this line at the end that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus says that love is the filter through which all of our theology needs to pass. We are to love God wholeheartedly, and we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The command to love God is one which presumes God's love for us already. We learn this later in 1 John, that we love because God loves us. And God commands us to love our neighbor because it turns out that God loves our neighbor too. You know, I get that we should love God. I get, I get it. And I get that we should love others. I mean, we talk about love in both of these directions quite a lot. The tricky part about this divine love command is this bit about loving myself. I'm just not really sure I know what that means at first glance. And yet Jesus tells us that if we're going to love our neighbor, something that we're trying to do, we have to love ourselves first. So I think as we begin this new year, a time when our minds immediately race to self-improvement and self-denial, we take some time to reflect on this command by Jesus to love ourselves. When my wife Abby and I were planning to get married, a good friend of mine relayed some advice to me, which I have not soon forgotten. He said to me, John, Christians should love each other, even if they are married. after I asked him if he had any better advice, uh, he explained to me what he meant. He said that our understanding of what, truly lo- of what tr- true love really is has been so warped by our cultural understandings of romantic love that we actually, those Christians who are married, forget what God means when God commands us to love each other. I think this is true of self-love as well. And just as it takes work, sacrifice, and lots of forgiveness— to learn to love a spouse as God wants us to. It's going to take real work to learn to love ourselves as well. Self-love is, it's tricky. 
It's really hard to define. And it's even harder to accept it once we actually get a working definition. The most common reason, I think, for this is that we often fail to see ourselves as worthy of love. I think this is why self-denial and self-improvement are actually so much easier for us. We fail to see ourselves as worthy of God's love. But I think we're also, self, we're also suspicious of self-love because we don't want to be self-indulgent. We don't want to be self-centered or self-interested either. And for some reason, we have kind of this belief that self-love is of a lesser moral quality than love for other people. So it's tricky. And yet Jesus seems to assume that self-love is so obvious that it warrants little explanation here. Even in the Gospel of Luke, where the same story is told, where Jesus responds to the same question, and when he tells the the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you remember, the religious leaders in that story want to know who we should regard as our neighbor. But no one seems to be asking Jesus, how do we actually love ourselves? It may be that I'm the only one lost this morning. But if you'll indulge me for just a few minutes, I've got a hunch that I'd like to follow. I was just thinking how funny it would be if I just had written here, hunch, follow it. It's not. That's not what's written. If we're going to learn, here's my hunch. It's really basic. If we're going to learn to love ourselves, we must learn to love ourselves as God loves us. Many of you are thinking, yeah, right? I mean, that seems so basic as not to really be of any help to us. But if we're going to learn to love ourselves as God loves us, it's going to take real work because of all of the voices from the basement of our lives that we tend to listen to. You know the voices that I'm talking about. The voices that say, you're not smart enough. You're never going to publish in the New Yorker. You can't get into the right school. You're not capable enough. No one, no one comes to you for solutions of really difficult problems. You're not pretty enough. You don't look the way that you should look. Or you've reached your potential and you're not going any further. These are the voices from the basement of our lives. And these voices all agree that your life is, is basically worth what you are able to create for yourself what you're able to do, what you're able to achieve, what you're able to produce. But self-love begins with choosing which story, which set of voices that you're going to listen to, which story you're going to believe about your life. And I promise you that you will never love yourself as God loves you if the primary story you tell yourself is that you are what you can achieve. As Christians, we confess that ultimately we are who God says we are. We are who God says we are. That's good news. And what God has said to us by sending his son Jesus Christ, which we have just celebrated, actually we're still in Christmas time, is that there's something incredibly valuable about being human. That because we're created in God's image, we're actually worthy of God's love and care. This is the voice out of heaven from which we need to hear. This is the same voice out of heaven from which the word of God was made flesh. This voice says that you matter, that you're loved, that you're worthy of God's love, that God is for you, that God is not against you. 
if we're going to begin to love ourselves as God loves us, I can't think of a better time of the year than just after Christmas, which we have celebrated God coming and dwelling among us to give us value. Bernard of Clairvaux is someone who has changed the way I think about learning to love ourselves as God loves us. Bernard of Clairvaux is a uh, French medieval monk who wrote about four degrees of love in his classic On Loving God, in which he kind of lays out this, how we develop and how we grow, how we perfect the love of God which has come to us in Jesus Christ. And he says that the first degree of love is love of ourself for our own sake. This is pretty self-explanatory. This is natural love. This is self-indulgent love. This is self-centered love. This is the kind of love that just seeks its own. He says this is the first degree of love. The second degree of love is love of God for our own sake. Here we've matured enough to actually love God, to lift our eyes off of ourselves, but it's still kind of self-centered. We still are loving God for God's benevolence, what we get from God. He says the third degree of love is love of God for God's own sake. We love God regardless of the benefits that we receive from God. We love God just because of who God is. This is what we do in worship. We come and we worship God because God is worthy of our worship. For a long time, I thought that this was actually the highest degree of love. To worship God, to love God just because. But Bernard of Clairvaux actually says that there's a higher degree of love than this. He says the highest degree of love, the purest form of love, is to love ourselves for God's sake. To love ourselves for God's sake. And he gives us a number of metaphors to kind of explain what he's talking about. He says it's like when air is infused with light, that you can no longer really tell the difference between the light and the air. Or it's like when you're heating up iron and it glows really hot. You can no longer tell the difference between the metal and the fire. Or it's like when a drop of water is absorbed into a large barrel of wine. It just becomes part of the wine. For a long time, I was really confused by what Bernard was talking about. Uh, you know, I thought, how is it that the highest degree of love could be a love for ourself? And those t- metaphors are like just terrible. I don't understand these metaphors. <laughs> so I tried to think of a different metaphor. So I thought of what makes an actor a good actor? What makes a good actor a good actor? Well, a good actor fully inhabits the role that they are portraying. They fully inhabit this role that they're trying to play in a way that you actually forget who they really are. You forget that they are acting because they fully embrace the character they're portraying and the story they're telling. My wife and I recently started, uh, for again, watching The West Wing. And for me, I think of Martin Sheen's character when I think of this kind of character. He uh, portrays President Jed Bartlett in The West Wing. Again, this, I guess I'm plugging another TV show. Um, <laughs> Sheen loves that character so much, and he portrays him so effortlessly, so effortlessly, that you can just kind of tell that he loves this character. And to this day, it's hard for me to kind of distinguish between Martin Sheen and President Jed Bartlett. And I don't really know if I want to. Uh, he's like the best president we never had. <laughs> I want to keep that hope alive. 
But I think that actually this is what Bernard is talking about, that, that when we begin to believe that God has written us into the script of the story that God is telling, that when we begin to believe that God has written us into the script of the story that God is telling, that we can actually let go of the false sense of self and embrace who God says we already are. Right? So this false sense of self, which is created from listening to the, to the basement voices in our lives, we can actually let that go and enter into the story that God is writing for us. So to love ourselves is to embrace who we really are in the context of the story God is telling about our lives. That's a picture of self-love. And notice too that self-love and, and self-denial aren't in conflict here. Because to love ourselves, to truly love ourselves, we have to deny ourselves of that false sense of self. We have to deny those creeping basement voices so that we can actually love who God has made us to be. And I guess that this is indeed the most mature kind of love. Because what we get as a result is this mutual, reciprocal, deep communion with God, this relationship with God. This is the relationship for which we were created. St. Augustine said in his confessions, he famously wrote in his confessions, that God has made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they finally rest in him. What he means by that is that we were created to find perfect rest in God, but that human life is kind of this restless seeking after that which we were created to desire. I don't know about you, but restless is a pretty good word to describe how I felt when I was writing New Year resolutions. Right? I think like, this is the year that I'm finally going to grab the reins of my own life, that I'm going to improve and develop and be better and do more better. But just like my brand new notebook, fresh with potential, soon fills with messy handwriting and embarrassing reflections that I once thought were brilliant. So too we make mistakes week after week and we fail to live up to the resolutions that we've made. We fail to live up to this ideal version of ourselves. And sinners such as we are, we soon discover that we are just as restless as when we began. I wonder if our restlessness is not the result of failing to live up to our own expectations, but actually the result of failing to love ourselves as God loves us. I wonder if the transformation we really want this year is not to do more better, but to experience moments of the kind of rest Augustine describes when we realize that God has created us for relationship with himself. That seems to me like the kind of transformation that I want this year. So maybe this year, instead of self-improvement or self-denial, maybe we choose to believe this instead, that you and me, that we matter. And we matter because what we have just celebrated at Christmas is God coming into the world to show us precisely how valuable and worthy of love that we really are. And that no matter no, no resolution, no matter if we keep it or not, is going to make us more valuable, more worthy of love than we already are because of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's believe that in 2016. And may we all, for God's sake, love ourselves this year. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, if we are going to love ourselves this year, we are going to need your help. 
We're going to need the kind of grace that you pour out day after day. We're going to need for you to encounter us, to make us whole when we feel broken. God, help us to keep the hope machine running this year. Help us to keep believing, hoping that there is transformation which awaits all of us because of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would send people to be in community with us to help us love ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen.